Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Jude, the book of Jude. Is one chapter, so you can open to chapter one. Pretty sure it'll be pretty easy to find. Uh, last week we began our study in the book of Jude and uh, just spent most of our time on verses one and two. Uh, this morning I'd like to spend our time on verse three, specifically uh, speaking about our common salvation and an appeal that Jude is making to the church. Anyways, we'll dive into that in just a second. Let's begin by reading Jude chapter 1. We'll read a few verses of this and then uh, walk through it together. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ." I would like you to, to invite you to skip down to verse 17. We'll come back to these other verses in the upcoming weeks. But just for the context's sake, let's pick up reading in verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. God, we thank you for this morning and the privilege of singing songs to you, the privilege of seeing each other's faces and seeing uh, the faith that you have created on display in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be honored this morning by the reading and the explaining and the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, spirit, would apply it to our hearts. You would convict us. You would lead us. You are our great shepherd. You are our father in heaven. We submit to you. We surrender to you our lives. Please lead us. And Father, I pray that you would be pleased by the, the life that we live for you. Thank you for this work that you've started in us. And as we walk through these verses this morning, please help us to understand them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go back to Jude 
chapter 1, verse 3, this is what he says. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down for the saints. So this morning, I'd like to spend most of our time right there in verse 3. So last week, we kind of talked about uh, who wrote the book. It was Jude, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James. He called himself a bondservant. This is a reference to the fact that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is somebody who was sent by Jesus specifically for the purpose of proclaiming the kingdom of God, for the purpose of proclaiming the word of God. And so this is kind of an appeal for us to hear these words as coming from God, as coming from Jesus. Jude has been sent out and uh, commissioned by God, and the Lord is using him to preach to us. So these words are for us. And this is a general letter. It was uh, most likely um, circulated around a number of the churches in uh, in the area. It was passed around from church to church for believers to read. And so it began to go out amongst all the fellowships of believers. And to this day, it's made its way to our hands and to our fellowship. And I believe that it's important for us to hear these words from Jude this morning. So he's preaching these things to us. The first thing he tells us that we covered last week was kind of our identity in Jesus Christ. He calls us the, the called of God, the beloved of God the Father, and we are kept for Christ Jesus as the bride of Christ. And he gave us this rich blessing. May the mercy and the peace and love be multiplied to you. It was his desire that we would see the increase of God's work in our life. And so then after kind of identifying who he's talking to, which is us, the believers, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, if we trust in him for salvation, this is our identity. He calls us by name in verse 3. He says, Beloved, which is a reference to the beloved of God. So he's identifying us and saying, While I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing. Now this is uh, his first uh, statement specifically is about his effort. He is making a great effort to write a letter. Now, that just I think, again, just like this common introduction that we see at the beginning of a letter, a common greeting, we could kind of breeze over that. But first, let's just take notice that uh, this effort that he, is, that he is putting into this is a reference to his diligence. That word means to do one's best or to give one's all. And so what he's saying is, I am giving my all. I am doing my very best. I'm going to great lengths and great effort to write to you, communicating to you the words of God, communicating to you the message that you need to hear. And so he says, I am making great effort to you. And he, he said specifically that he wanted to make, he wanted to communicate to us about our com common salvation. Now, that is a uh, reference that you hear a few times in Scripture, just a reference to the fact that we are believers in Jesus Christ. We have in common our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not really a reference to something that is ordinary or something that is common in the world. In fact, this is actually fairly unique and uncommon in the world to have faith in Jesus Christ. But he's writing to the believers, the beloved, who have in common their faith in Jesus Christ. And he started out and he was desiring to write a letter to the church, encouraging them and strengthening them about their salvation. He was setting out to write about the faith. 
specifically. And, uh, and I think it's good for us, and we try, I try my best as often as I can whenever we come across scriptures, whenever I'm reading letters or any passage of scripture that we're going through together as a church. Whenever I see something in here that has a reference to who we are in Christ Jesus, I like to spend time on that because it's easy to lose sight of who we are in Christ Jesus. It's easy to lose sight of the faith that God has created in us. It's easy to lose sight of the hope that we have of eternal salvation, of our glorification that he has secured in Christ Jesus. It's easy to lose sight of that because of the pain of the world. And it's good for us sometimes to open God's word and look for those things and meditate on those things and be reminded of them and give thanks and praise God and He set out to write about those things, but it seems as though the Spirit of God stopped him in that process and changed the direction of his letter. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. I'm appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Now, This word necessity means that he thought it was best or he held the view after giving, making observation of the churches in the area and and hearing about what's going on in the churches and surveying the spiritual need of the Christians in the community. He felt it important to stop and to write about some specific issues that needed to be addressed, specifically um, requiring that he make an appeal or an exhortation where he is begging or pleading on behalf of Jesus Christ that the church take action. So he's looking at us and saying, it is time to take action. I am pleading with you. I am begging with you. It is important for you to be reminded of your great salvation, but there's some things that you need to take notice of. There's some things that need to be addressed. So the first thing that I notice in here is kind of our, the importance of our listening ear. So he was going through every, he was making every effort to write to us. We should make every effort to listen. If it's that important for an apostle of God to go through great pains to communicate to us and for this to be passed down from generation to generation to us, we should go through great pains to pay attention to what is written in these words. And this doesn't include, or this includes Jude as well as the rest of God's word. All right, so we should pay attention and then we should often be reminded of our common salvation, but also it is necessary to listen to God's appeal. I think sometimes we like to go to God's word in our quiet times and in our devotional times and in our worship times and spend a great deal of time on the things that make us feel good, the things that provoke our heart to joy and, and cause us to, to, um, to be filled with greater hope and greater um, excitement about who we are in Christ Jesus. But the word of God is also filled with admonition, exhortation, rebuke, correction, and appeal. And this is one of those cases where Jude is saying there's something that we need to pay attention to. The next thing that I see in here is um, a, a call to contend earnestly for the faith. This is the appeal that he's making. So there's two things that I see that we're going to spend a little bit of time on this morning. One is... Um, this call to contend earnestly, and the other is the faith that we have that's been passed down from generation to generation. I'd like to take a look at both of those. Let's just look at them in order. Uh, The first one that we see here is 
to contend earnestly for the faith. He said, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, that word contend earnestly is one Greek word, and it's not just, it's not a light word. It's not a, uh, an easy word. It's a word that literally means to struggle and to fight. And he's looking at believers, calling believers to struggle and fight about something. Now, there's some specifics to that. What does he mean by that? What kind of fighting is he talking about? Uh, specifically saying this fight is for the faith. The faith that we have, and we'll come back to that, that faith in a second. Let's take a look at a couple of verses that, um, that stood out to me that kind of helped me understand this concept of contending for the faith. The first that I'd like to focus on is in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, if you would, just kind of keep your finger in Jude. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 uh, for a second. Uh, one of the issues that was going on in the churches then, and I think that we face today, is the issue of false teaching, the issue of sin within the believer's individual lives, sin within the church, sin that's tolerated, sin that's allowed, and sometimes people creeping in in such a way that they give the appearance of good religion, but in reality are not believers in Jesus Christ and cause division within the church. In Jude, he says, specifically, there are people that have crept in unnoticed and they've specifically turned the grace of God into licentiousness. And next week, we'll spend a little time talking about what that means. But let's talk specifically about uh, contending for the faith and why it's important for us as individual believers to contend or fight for the faith. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9, you have this Kind of, Paul's given this explanation to the Ephesian church and instruction about how they ought to conduct church fellowship. One in verse 9, he says this expression, or look at verse, um, actually go down to verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And that's, uh, that's a reference to um, the offices of the church, how God has anointed some people and called some people from within the body of Christ, from within the fellowship, to different roles and responsibilities and acts of service for the sake of building the church up in unity and in love and accomplishing the purpose of the church. So anyways, he says this, for, look at verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So he's given, every, he's given people within the church offices and jobs and places of service. He has pulled the body of Christ together, the church together, the believers together for the purpose of equipping one another, serving together, and building up the body of Christ. Look at verse 13, until when? How long are we to do this? How long are we to work at being a church? Until we attain to the unity of the faith. We are to work together in the faith until we attain unity in the faith. And then he says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're to continue growing in the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So there is a maturity, this, this life that we have been, that has been created in us, has often been referred to as, um, as something that was uh, like, like a baby that was born. When we first came to know Jesus Christ, uh, there are references in Scripture that give, that seem to, I'm, I'm jumbling up my words here. So we've been called babies when we come to know Jesus Christ. When we come to have faith in Jesus Christ, 
It's as if we've been born again. And as babies, we have to grow. We begin drinking milk, and then we grow into maturity, eating meat and things that grown people eat. And in reference to the spiritual life, we start out with the basics. And as we grow in our faith, we move on to the mature things. And we chew on the harder things. We ask the hard questions. We draw nearer and nearer to God and grow in our relationship with God. We grow in our knowledge of God and in unity in the faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, look at verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ meaning that we are to measure up to the image of Christ. That is the work that God is doing in us, which is, just pause for a second, side note, this is God's work in us. The Holy Spirit is in us doing this work. While we strive for this, it is the power of Christ in us that is accomplishing it. And he is conforming us into the image of Uh, His son, God is conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, just like it says in Romans chapter 8. So we are to grow up into the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer, look at this, as a result, in verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. What is a wind of doctrine? What are the waves? These are, these are um, analogies that have been applied to the faith. The winds of the doctrines are strange teachings or other teachings. We know that we live in a world that is full of various teachings about God and about truth and about heaven and about hell and about eternity and about life and death and man and Everything, there are multiple forms of religions and teachings and even multiple forms of quote-unquote Christianity. And it is easy for us in our immaturity, without the full knowledge of God and His Word, it is easy for us to be blown around by the wind, so to speak, carried along by every wind of doctrine and blown by the waves of the sea, so to speak. It's easy for us to hear something that sounds good and believe it and go that way. And then hear something else that sounds good and believe it and go that way. It affects our thoughts. It affects the way we, um, the way we relate to one another as believers. It affects our relationship with God and our faith. Paul is saying that we ought to continue to grow up as a church in maturity so that we are no longer children who would believe anything. We need to grow up into mature mature adults who know how to use the tool of discernment in a world that is full of deception. So he says, look at the rest of verse 14. Carried about by the waves, uh, by carry, waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself 
in love. So there it is, the Spirit of God taking every member of the body of Christ, putting us together in unity, helping us to love one another in the Spirit of God and in the truth of God, not easily led astray by false teachings and by things that would uh, creep in without our notice. And this is the kind of thing that Jude is about to address in his letter when he says, I am writing to you appealing that you would contend for the faith because, and then he lists a whole bunch of things that are happening in the church, and we're going to address those in the upcoming weeks, but there's a number of issues within the church and within good doctrine that have been slightly twisted and have caused corruption within the church. Now, I just would like to add this note as, well, as we walk through Jude. I think it's good for us as Fountain Church in Hogansville to, uh, to set our hearts and our minds in the right direction so that we as a church, as we grow together and as we study together and as we preach and as we do Bible studies together, it is okay to stop and ask the hard questions that might be uncomfortable to ask or to even express doubts. It's okay for us to even be wrong when we're discussing theology and the truth and good doctrine of God so that we can dialogue with one another and search the scriptures together and find the truth together and walk in the truth. It's good for us to work that out. I think sometimes churches have been afraid of discussing the hard things and have been afraid of opening the can of worms, theological can of worms, so to speak, because we're afraid of offending somebody in the room or getting too deep or maybe because we are, uh, we might because we know that there's a young believer in the room who might just not understand these difficult concepts that we're dealing with. We're afraid of maybe marginalizing them or pushing them to the side. And I think that's where it's important for us as a church to make sure that we are helping the young believers along with the basics while not neglecting the fact that we have to search out the truths of God's word and know for ourselves what it, what it says, what it means, what we believe about it. Because... We do live, maybe Fountain Church has great doctrine. Maybe it does. I like to think it does. I like to think we're on the right path as we seek uh, the truth of God as believers together. But we live in a culture, not just in America, but around the world, where the church in general is greatly affected by varying teachings. Uh, the church of Jesus Christ that claims to believe the word of God specifically disagrees on major issues. And I think it's good sometimes for the church to sit down and make sure we know what we believe about those major issues. And our church is dealing with, uh, in America on the public scheme, is dealing with issues about human life. Issues about, um, we don't like to bring it up, but politics. It is important to know how Christians and believers ought to interact with the politics of our day. It is important to know how believers and Christians ought to act with racial reconciliation of our day. Sometimes we need to sit down and discern what God's word says about it. And all throughout church history, there were times when the leaders of the churches were recognizing that that there were issues in the culture that were beginning to affect the beliefs of the people. 
And so they would send leaders from their various churches to these meetings and they would convene councils where they would bring the major issues to the table and they would discuss them and they would spend a great amount of time in God's word ironing out exactly what they believed. And then they took great pains to go back to their fellowships and systematically teach the word of God to their people so that the people of God were not easily led astray from God's ways. It's work. It's a struggle. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes people do get offended. And that's where we as a church in love have to do our very best to try to communicate to people that we are not trying to be divisive. We're not trying to be hostile. We're not trying to stir up trouble. But we want to identify what is false because if we can expose what is true, we can lead you to life. Jesus tells us that the truth will set us free. If people are bound up in false teaching, they're not free. They're bound by false teaching and they're not free to trust in the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ for their salvation. They're not free to hope in the future glorification, to hope in their salvation because they're worried that this idea that might be false is true and they're bound by that. And it is important for the church to identify it, expose it, and bring people to the light. Another few, uh, another example is in Ephesians chapter 6. Just to remember that when we contend this fight that we're called to fight as believers is not against flesh and blood. I think it's important for us to remember that. When we come up against people that believe something false, we have to remember first and foremost that our battle is not against that person. That person has a soul. That person the Lord may be working on and may lead to salvation. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual darkness, a force we have an enemy to contend with. It is not the people around us. And he says, this is our battle. And so he says in verse 13 of Ephesians 6, therefore, take up the full armor of God. So what are the tools that we are to use in this fight of the faith? He lists a few of those tools that we ought to use. Uh, he says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So there it is, the truth of God, the truth of God. We need to know, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is accomplished and given to us by Jesus and Jesus alone. Where do we find our righteousness? We need to know where our righteousness comes from because there are people that claim to believe in the word of God, claim to be Christian, claim to preach the word of God, but preach that that righteousness comes from something other than Jesus alone. It's important to know where it comes from. This is how we do this battle. And he says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, meaning that we are making ready ourselves for the, the walking in this world by being prepared to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ whenever the Lord compels us to preach it. 
to know it, to be able to share it, to be able to articulate it. This prepares us for our life in this world. He says, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith. Faith is a tool that we must have. It is a shield that guards our heart. It guards our mind. He says, you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, which guards our mind, knowing the truth about our salvation will guard us from the lies of the enemy. And he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And let's not forget, sometimes I think is often excluded from this list. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. Prayer. These are the tools that God's called us to use as we contend for the faith as believers. Now, these are action words. Jude was calling us to contend for the faith. This is an action. He is making, he's going through great pains and he feels it necessary. Apparently, the Spirit of God led him to communicate, to appeal to us, to plead with us, to beg us to pay attention to this, to this warning. And he's pleading with us to contend for the faith. That is the opposite of being passive. He's pleading with us to take action at preserving and preaching the truth of God. And I believe this is not just for the preachers of the world. This is for every believer in the body. He says, contend for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, the faith, I think, is, we know that faith is given to us by God. It's a gift. God's given it to us. He's blessed us with that. We have faith in God because he's reached into our heart. He's created it in us. We rejoice in that. It's something that we possess. But faith is also a way of life. The faith is a reference to the way of life, the way of the Israelites, the way of the people of God, the way of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the way of the Christian church, those who've come to be, and the, and the Jews are the Gentiles have been grafted into that family. This is the way of the people of God. Look at what he says in, in Jude 1. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now that's a really neat statement because he's making reference to this faith that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation that we might have it today. Scripture that I'd like to read, um, you guys may know it pretty well, going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what uh, the people of God, the Israelites, were instructed to. Um, this is how they were instructed. Verse six, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson, there's that generational reference, that you and your son and your grandson, I lost my place because I stopped to talk. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, 
and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So they're being instructed to hold on to this teaching that they've received from God, the commandments from God. Teach them to your sons and your grandsons. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. Look, notice the references. He says, these words need to be on your heart. What does it take to put something on your heart? It's one thing to read a book and say, I read that once and I know what it was about. It's another thing to read. Uh, you know, we could do that with God's word. You could read it once and know in general what it's about and put it down and say, that was a, that was a decent read. But it's another thing to read it and to love it and to cherish it until it's in your heart. And he says, these things are to be on your heart. And he makes reference to diligence. That's hard work. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look, go down to verse 12. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of the slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. All right, it's kind of a terrifying statement, but it was a reference to the fact that all rebellion of, against God must be punished. But we know that the fulfillment of this passing down of faith in God is in Jesus Christ. I want to read another passage from Psalm 27. This is what the psalmist says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Wait, not Psalm 27. That's the wrong one, I think. That's a good psalm. Psalm 78. That's where I want to be. Psalm 78. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. There's that, there's that instruction to listen, to incline our ears. It's active listening, not passive. It's very easy for us as believers to sit and passively listen and turn what is a rich a relationship with Jesus Christ is an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ that is something we can allow it to become something passive where we just simply go through the motions week after week. But the faith, the relationship that we have with our God is not that. The faith and the relationship that we have with God, our Savior, is active. It's involved. It's, he says, listen, oh my people, and uh, to my instruction, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. So there it is. Tell to the generations to come. All that the Lord has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born. So now he's talking about the unborn. 
He's saying this faith must be passed down so that all people may know. Now, fortunately, people were faithful to this instruction because here in the 21st century, we have this calling because of the faithfulness of all who have gone before us to preserve and protect and contend for this faith so that we could hold it in truth in our hands today and know our God. I praise God and thank God that he has led people and the church and preserved the church all along the way so that we could have faith to this day. Look at verse 7, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So he's saying we're not to be like some of our forefathers who were rebellious in nature, but we are to hear the word of God, to respond to it and to obey it and to trust in God and to pass this down from generation to generation. Now, Going back to Jude, he says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. The saints are the holy ones of God, the beloved, those who are the called, the beloved in God the Father, the kept for Jesus Christ. This has been handed down for us. Now, one phrase that's kind of a mystery to me in this um, that was really interesting to me is that he says that this faith was once for all handed down. Now, you really don't see that phrase very often in Scripture. In fact, most cases where you see that phrase is a reference to Jesus Christ. Just by example, I'll read a few of those. Hebrews 9.26 says, Christ appeared to put away sins once for all. Romans 6.10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Hebrews 7.27, Christ offered himself a sacrifice once for all. Hebrews 9.28, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Hebrews 10.10, the body of Jesus once for all was offered. Hebrews 9.12, once for all, Christ entered the holy place. Here in Jude, the faith was once for all handed down to the saints. And I believe that the culmination of the faith that has been passed down from generation to generation, from Abraham to, uh, to this day, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All that was foreshadowed and all that was protected in the teaching of the commands of God was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was accomplished by Jesus Christ once and for all. So when he says that our faith has been handed down once for all, I don't think that this is without reference to Jesus I think this is a reference to the fact that our faith has come to us and been completed and fulfilled and founded on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Our our faith, our way of life has been accomplished by Christ. One good thing that we can know as a church is that the church of God will prevail. The faith of God will prevail. God preserves it. God's the one that completed it in Christ Jesus. God has already ordained the end. We know that it will be preserved, but nevertheless, here in this command is a call for the body of Christ to fight, to fight for the faith that God has passed down from generation to generation to this day. This faith that we have in Jesus is something that we can give thanks to God for. And I think that that's where we all have to start. It's been handed down to us. 
by God, completed in Christ Jesus. The general appeal here is that first we need to know Christ our Savior. And if we are then brought into the beloved family of God, then our responsibility and our call here is to fight because there are issues that must be dealt with. And if we don't see the issues today, then we might need to open our eyes. We might need to prepare our hearts because they are there and they will be there. Because we live in a world where we've already been told the enemy will come against us. We have a faith to fight for, but we also have a contender to fight against. This is a competition and we are called to win. We are instructed by God to fight to win this faith. Now, I believe that there are people that that are living in the darkness without salvation. They are hopeless because they've believed lies that have been propagated by the enemy. Uh, there are people that have been born in their sins and have yet to come to know Jesus Christ. And I believe the church, we have been called to proclaim Jesus because in our proclamation of Jesus, we are engaging in the fight to bring those lost souls to salvation. We know that the ultimate end of that is in the hands of God. He will be the one to determine. He will be the one to lead that person to have faith in him. But God has called us to take an active role at, at fighting for that soul. Fighting that that soul be redeemed from the darkness and the doom that is, um, that is sure to come if they do not follow Jesus. We have entered into a glorious light, a glorious hope, a glorious salvation. But we've been called and warned by God not to sit back and take a passive role at life now that things are good for us. And I think if we were to hear Paul, he would say, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. So in our rejoicing, we need to be alert and we need to be awake and we need to be ready for the fight. Now we're going to talk a little bit more specifically in the upcoming weeks about what that, some of those things look like, what some of those theological issues are for the church and might be for us, things we might, might need to watch out for. But this morning what I'd like to invite you to do as a church is to pray through these things. One, when we read God's word, we need to make every effort to listen to the appeal of God's word. If being in God's word has become kind of a, uh, just a byproduct of life, something that we do a little bit in our spare time, we might need to engage more actively in seeking out God's word for us. I think we are called and commanded to preserve the faith that God has passed down to us from generation to generation, and we need to look for how we can continue to invest that into the future generations. How are we building up our church and the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can multiply this, so that we can duplicate this, so that we can pass this down to the next generation? And this is, um, I, I don't speak these words lightly. In fact, these are, these are difficult words for me to wrestle with because as a father, I have six kids that I'm responsible for. And as a church, I have multiple uh, members of this church that I'm responsible for. 
and I think often about how much effort I put into the passing down of the faith of God to this generation of people that the Lord's given me responsibility of, and that's a, that's a heavy responsibility. And there are often times where I go to bed at night and I think, I think how much time I spent or how much time went away through the day and how little time I spent vocalizing my faith and talking to my children and talking to my brothers and sisters in Christ about God. In that, I find myself resting on the grace of God. I find myself resting and giving praise and thanks to God that he holds my faith in his hand. And, and I come to God uncondemned, but yet I find myself convicted and compelled to make sure that I am fighting the good fight of faith, as Paul told Timothy. So my encouragement to you is to fight for the growth and multiplication of our faith in our lives, our churches, and our world. There's a warning against being passive. We have an active enemy. He's dividing and he's corrupting, but the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I think our greatest weapon that we have is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the church. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.